What's Swinging Nation? Welcome back to the podcast. This is the Steel Mace Nation podcast. I am Fred Moore, and today with me as my guest is Chris Van Brenk. That's right. Chris, how you doing? Thanks for um, coming on the podcast. Um, I'm going to just read a little bit of your bio here to give everybody an idea of um, who you are. So I'm not going to read the whole thing. We're going to get into it, though. Uh, So you're originally from uh, Sacramento, California, and you went to college for political science, and you had a minor in classical literature. Um, You went to Harvard. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I was, I was, thanks, thanks for saying it because I was thinking it, and I didn't want to be mean. <laughs> um, I, you were uh, ROTC scholarship, so there we go with the nerd stuff again. Uh, that yep. paid for your college, and you got commissioned as an infantry officer. So there you go with that. If anybody's looking for something to do with their life, you know, and they're not sure that's a good route, get your college paid for. Who wants to have that debt over your head? Um, so you, be, you went into the infantry as an officer. So you're already assuming leadership roles. And um, you graduated from the U.S. Army Ranger School. And you took command of an infantry platoon. And you were deployed in Iraq. Right. Um, yeah, and then you were uh, interested in the special forces. So when you got back from Iraq, you went to the special forces assessment and selection. And uh, let's see. So then you also did a uh, – you went to operational detachment alpha A team as a commander, and you went to Afghanistan. That's correct. Incredible. Okay, so – I mean, you, it goes on. You got so much here that you put down. Um, another thing is you're a fitness coach now. You're, you do um, yoga. Um, coaching background is CrossFit Level 1, USAW Olympic weightlifting coach. Wow. Level 1. Mobility coach. NASM mixed martial arts conditioning. That's interesting. Um you're a specialist in that. And again, you're certified, certified yoga teacher. So Chris, let's get into it. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. So, um, the military stuff, let's, let's start there. So what, what was that like for you? Was that something that you really yeah. enjoyed? Um, yeah, absolutely, man. There's, there are so many aspects of the military that I actually do miss. You know, it's funny. You don't really think about it much until you're out you know, in regular civilian life, um, especially being on the special operations side of the house, you know, the the team dynamics, the high level of training, the high level of accountability that you had, and just that that performance atmosphere um, is something that you're always trying to get back to. Right. Um, and, and I've, you know, admittedly, like I've been able to find pockets of it, I kind of scattered around civilian life, whether that be in the gym or whether that be in EMS. Um, but yeah, no, the military was one of those experiences where like, it really, like it tested every bit of you, you know, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and it, you know, especially, you know, going through the special forces qualification course, um, to be a green beret. I mean, everything gets put out on the table, right? There's nothing that gets left out, you know, everything gets evaluated and, uh, yeah, it was, it was truly a memorable experience. So as far as the deployment stuff goes, I mean, it's, it's nice not being shot at anymore. <laughs> you know, that's, yeah, that must be great, right? <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, that's that's nice. Um, but I mean, it's you know, it was a dynamic environment, and you know, it it was one of those ones where you know, once you you know, coming from the conventional army, being an infantry platoon leader, um, to the unconventional side of the house, you know, the the guys on on the other side of that big black fence that you know you see. Um, you kind of, you get a real big perspective change, right? You, you kind of look at the world strategically as opposed to just, you know, tactically down at the ground maneuvering troops. Um, cause you're, you're a strategic asset at that point. So it was, um, it's hard sometimes watching the news, <laughs> you know, after kind of like being in the briefings and stuff like that, you know, the, and, um, but, but it's, it's good. You know, I, it was my time to get out and, uh, and I'm glad I and I'm glad I'm doing what I'm doing right now. So yeah, it says in your bio that you you left because it looked like you were going to basically be a, 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 in a desk. Yeah, absolutely. So I uh, yeah, so I made the um, 
I was a captain promotable when I got out. I had made the major list, um, so field grade officer. And, um, you know, I was, there. I was, let's see, I was 2018, I was 30, 32 at the time. Oh. And, uh, yeah, I mean, but I, but I was going to be a desk officer, right? Like, unfortunately, the way it works as officers in the military, like, we can't stay in one position. We have to keep that career progression in mind. And, uh, yeah, I would have had to leave the team. So, yeah, yeah I, was for, I was fortunate, I mean, my entire officer career to only be in leadership positions. Yeah. And, um, either a leadership position or a training position because that's – for me, that's like, that's why you join the army, right? No one joins the army because they, you know, when you're playing army with your friends, you know, as kids, you know, no one says like, I would be the admin guy, you know, like, I, <laughs> you know, like I would be the guy signing papers, you know, like, no, no one does right. that, right? Every, you right. want to be the guy on the ground. And, uh, and I did it and I ran it all the way out for, you know, a full decade. And um, yeah, I got out right at, right at the peak. So it was a good time to, to step away. Right. And, and did you have any, anything going on fitness wise, um, like with your credentials? Was that? Yeah. After? Okay. No, no. I, uh, so it's, it's going to sound terrible. Um, I, I was just, I was too cheap to pay for a gym membership. So yeah. what I did was I, I just, I invested the money in myself to, you know, become certified in coaching. And I loved, I've been doing CrossFit for, for years just because it was real popular in the military community back in the day. And, um, but this was like, this was like original CrossFit. I mean, this was like, this was back in the day when we were like, you know, taping up rocks and stuff like that for wall balls. And like, we didn't have like equipment, you know, we just kind of grabbed what we had. Um, and so, you know, I, I had been doing it for years and just wanted to become a coach. And then, you know, I, fitness has always played, you know, a big part in my military career, as far as, you know, managing a high level of fitness. And so I would just, I would trade coaching for, uh, for a free gym membership, <laughs> you know? So wherever yeah. I went, I would just find the local gym and just be like, Hey, you know, I'll, I'll teach a class for you. I'll teach a couple classes. If you let me work out, <laughs> you know, would I just give me that free gym access, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, that, uh, and it good. worked and it worked. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. That's a, like a no brainer for the gym owner because what you're going to go work out somewhere now the, the gym's there already. It's not like right. they have, yeah. Hey, how, exactly. can you, how can you turn it down? That's maybe I should start doing that. Yeah. I'm telling yeah. you, it's it's a great it, like because they're always looking for coaches. You know, especially mm -hmm. like in military communities where everyone's transient, anyways. You yeah. know, like it's it's a good trade off. You know, yeah, that's that's a good idea. That's something for people to think about. So yeah, uh, so when did you were you doing yoga? Um, yeah, so while you were in the military, or is that afterwards? Well, so it's it's interesting. Like so my like when I tell the story of my yoga journey, um, it kind of comes in like really two phases, right? So like the, there's the physical practice of yoga where you're looking at the, the postures and the stretches. And I had been doing that for a while because I basically tied that in with my recovery routine, right? So like you lift heavy, stretch yourself out, you know, like I, when I went to, um, I was, had met Kelly Starrett back in the day, the guy who wrote the Supple Leopard, and yep. he, he kind of indoctrinated me into the the mobility coaching side of the house, and and I realized, you know, how much like how much my lifting was impacted just by my lack of ability to get into a position. It wasn't that I wasn't strong enough; it was that you know the position that I was in was less than optimal to you know move weight. So that gave me kind of like a profound appreciation for just posture in general. So yoga tied in very naturally with that where you could you know find stabilization you know in these odd positions like you know much like the the mace training you know you're trying to find that yeah. you know posture that stable position where the weight's kind of moving back and forth um but then the you know the the flip side of that like on the on the spiritual side of yoga which is you know probably arguably what i delve in more now i mean i do still do the physical practice but the, the breathing work, the meditation, the mindset that came, um, actually it's funny. There is uh, that came in Afghanistan, um, like about mid tour in Afghanistan. We had a, uh, it was, it was a pretty hellacious firefight. It was about 18 hours long. And, um, and I remember like during a lull in that, after we had just, we just dropped, you know, I think about two, 500 pounders on this mountaintop. I, um, it's really weird. I shared a cup noodles with uh, my senior engineer sergeant and like this feeling of trying to find this profound calm in the midst of chaos 
and how to how to shift your mindset between you know being absolutely present as opposed to you know getting jostled around by everything that was going on around you um took a great interest in that so so from then on i started to dive into more of the kind of the meditation the mindset training associated with yoga itself you know original yoga was just that it it was actually just seated meditation the postures and all that stuff didn't come so much afterwards um so yeah and then after i got out of the military that was interestingly you know, it's kind of funny you know <laughs> going to yoga teacher training where you know coming from you know, special forces, a team where you're, you're like, there's no females, right? This was a time like back when women couldn't try out, you know, any unit I had served in, in the army, whether that was combat arms, infantry, army, special forces or whatever, like women weren't allowed to try out. And then I go to yoga teacher training like day one and I am the only man in the entire class. Right. Right. Like, <laughs> Did you feel like a fish out of water? I mean, it was like, I feel like it was just, you know, that, that, that fate has this like sense of irony about it, you know, or it yeah. was kind of like this, this ultimate kind of balancing, but, uh, I kind of, you know, I, I mean, I've never been in the military, but you know, uh, in the fire department, I'm around guys all the time. We just started getting like a female or two on the job and I, they're on different shifts. So I don't work with women. And, um, I was actually trying out yoga one day and it was, you know, I walked in and it was all women. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this is, this is hilarious. Um, so I go in there and I'm like, look, and now I'm re realizing like, oh, okay. It's really like sinking. I'm like, I'm going to be with all these women and I'm probably going to fart. And <laughs> so, the <laughs> so, so here we are, we're in the middle of it, getting into it. And it wasn't me. It was the lady next to me. She farted. <laughs> and oh, then Jesus. once that happened, once that happened, I relaxed. I was like, all right, you know, first shot fired. So nobody's going to say nothing. There you go. Right? No one's going to say nothing now, right? You broke that ice. Yeah. It was, but, um, um, you know, um, yeah, you, once you get you, – you have mental boundaries or uh, I'm, I'm saying uh, obstacles, actually. You have mm -hmm. these obstacles that you put up in your head when you want to try new things and – and you're pointing one thing out right there. It's something simple like that. But go ahead, continue with. Uh... Yeah, I mean, and so you know, once once I kind of got past it, and you look at you know, yoga is one of the things that kind of has it's it's universal benefit. You know, there's it's you know, gender doesn't matter, even though you know, in Western yoga, it seems to kind of be enveloped by the female population. But I think in the end of the day, you know, just like anything else, you know, once you you can find that benefit for yourself if you can kind of get past it. You know, same thing, like I said, when people pick up any unconventional piece of equipment, like, you know, the first time you use a steel mace, you're just like, what is this thing? It's a new thing, right? It's not, it's not a traditional, you know, piece of equipment that you normally find in gyms, at least not, you know, when we were growing up, you know, doing the bodybuilding thing. Not yet, but steel not mace yet. station, we're getting it in there. There you go. And, and it should be, right? Because it's like that, you know, and that and it's that will kind of what made me fall in love with with CrossFit because I remember, you know, in, in my own fitness journey when, because I had started, you know, when I when I was 16 years old, like the very first place I drove when I when I first got my license was to a gym to do just and I had, I was ripping out workouts at a Muscle and Fitness magazine, you know, the the three by twenty reps, you know, just the straight up hypertrophy work. Yeah. And and because I just wanted to look a certain way, you know, so I was it was a hundred percent aesthetically driven, and. I remember then a friend of mine was doing CrossFit and he was like, yeah, you should totally just try this out. And so I went and I looked like a, I looked like a pretty decently fit guy, you know, back in the day. And, um, and, and I remember like I, I walked in the gym and I was doing this, I was doing the workout and this guy next to me, I mean, he was by all appearance, right. Like smaller, skinnier. I just, I got demolished. Like I got, and I, and I couldn't understand why that happened, you know, because it's like, I, and I was like, man, I was like, what, what just happened? And then from then on, like, it just, it just switched. So like my whole fitness game, uh, became solely about performance, you know? Yeah. And then, and then like the irony with that is that like the better you perform, the more aesthetically pleasing you end sure. up looking anyways, you right. know? So it's right. like, you know, I was, I was doing everything all wrong and, uh, it kind of showed me the air of my ways. And then, you know, even with, even with the whole yoga thing, you know, like once you get over the fact that, I mean, yoga is not just for women, it's, you know, shit, I mean, 
special forces veteran. Like I am probably the last person. I'm fully tattooed, you know, like I don't look like anyone in that yoga class, but I'm telling you, like it, it is so beneficial, um, for the whole person. And I think if people can just kind of get over that little, little stereotype, I think they would kind of recognize that. Yeah. That's, and you, you mentioned earlier, uh, it's in the Western world, it's more women than men. And that's because, yeah, uh, men walk around like, uh, you know, I'm too tough, too tough right. for that, especially right. in New Jersey. Oh my God. You can't, you know, <laughs> see if you, there's so many yeah. bros in Jersey, like, yo, I ain't doing that thing. What are you talking about? Right. I'm over here pumping chest. So right. yeah, it's, it's a cultural thing, but um, yeah, it, you know, so the little bit I know about yoga and, and the stress management and uh, that's mm-hmm. definitely a huge thing. And, and again, the 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 guys that you know need to be st- managing their stress are these typical guys I was just talking about where they're too right. tough you know right when when you start managing your stress through yoga is it different than say doing anything else or does it fall into the same like if some people manage their stress through reading or Right. Go for a walk, or they go to a um, a doctor and and talk. Sure. But did, uh, you find something that's unique for stress management that comes out of yoga. I think the from a full I can I guess a couple of answers to that question. Number one, like from a coaching standpoint, you know, with my athletes, like the one undeniable truth of exercise is that you know you don't get bigger stronger faster when you work out you get bigger stronger faster when you recover from working out so you know and and it's and that concept of recovery is kind of a lost concept with a lot of people because you know they will they will go into the gym they will crush it they will lift hard they'll lift heavy and then they'll get out of the gym and then they're going back to stressful lives they eat poorly they sleep poorly Right. And then they wonder why, you know, down the road they get injured or whatever. And it's, you failed to manage your own recovery. Like, I mean, you, you can't out train a bad lifestyle. And I think, you know, from a, from a physiological standpoint, right. You know, you, you shift out of this sympathetic state, you know, in order to be in like true recovery mode, right. You're shifting out of the sympathetic state into your parasympathetic recovery system and, you know, it wasn't, it, it, interestingly enough, it wasn't really until I, um, well, he used to call it power, speed, endurance, but a guy named Brian McKenzie, who started, you know, the Art of Breath course, you know, power, speed, endurance, now shift, adapt. Um, I met him years ago, and we were talking about breath work and like how, you know, your breathing is the fastest way to shift out of your sympathetic fight or flight mode into your parasympathetic recovery state. If you can get your breathing under control and, you, and it makes sense, right? Cause when you're, when you're exercising hard, that's the first thing that goes mm-hmm. before this cascade of, you know, muscular failure, right? Your breathing starts to get fast, shallow, your heart rate goes up. And then all of a sudden, you know, your, your muscles slowly start to slow down. So if the breathing could get under control faster and quicker, then you could manage that stress state. And in yoga, you know, the, pranayama your breath practice like that is that is an entire dedicated limb of yoga and people you know yogis have been doing breath work for thousands of years and have developed all kinds of techniques to you know regulate heart rate regulate mental state you know by by shifting your attention to your breathing i mean you're essentially your your past your present doesn't matter it's all about right now you know and if you can do that successfully Right. You can, you can start that recovery process better and earlier, which means you get more bang for your buck out of your workout anyways, you know, cause usually it's like when people, at least for me and, and athletes that I had trained, you know, when they start complaining about their plateaus, right. Why, why am I plateauing? You know, why this isn't working, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and you take a quick look at their lifestyle and you realize like, it's not, it's not the work that you're not putting into the gym. Like you're, you're doing that part, but it's everything on the back end that's lacking. You know, it's yeah. like, so it's like a, it's a fundamental like mindset shift, you know, when it comes to human performance that, you know, you're not, your true gains aren't made in the gym. They're actually made out of the gym and that's how you're reaping the benefit of your training. So, you know, for me, once I kind of got a grasp on that, 
like yoga was the key to recovery, like good recovery, you yeah. know? Um, so yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. No, no, but. that definitely does. And, you know, you have one of your topics in your bio you sent me here as, you know, how not to get burned out. So, you know, burnout could happen in different times, different ways. But generally what you're talking about here is people are burning out because their recovery isn't good. They're literally just burning the candle at both ends and, and not taking proper measures to, so that, so you can, you almost find that spot where you're, you'll never really experience burnout because you're, you have it dialed in your everything, your sleep, your hydration, your stress management, you could pretty much follow, develop a, a routine, a weekly, monthly routine and just stay on it right or wrong. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I fully believe that. And yeah. I, I think, you know, one thing that, especially in the special operations side that we started to pay really close attention to um, was preventative stress management, right? A lot of people think of stress management, you know, as a backend thing. You know, if, if you're waiting for the event, the stressful event to happen before you've done any sort of, you know, prep work, right? Uh, you're too late. You yeah, know? you're and, already and, in the sympathetic mode right. and nothing's even happened yet. Right. Well, and, and that's the thing. Like, if you if you don't set yourself up for success, right? Like, you are going to find yourself behind the eight ball. And especially, you know, in a job like fire or EMS or any first responder position, where I mean, you don't walk into work knowing what's going to happen, right? So it's like it could be a, a super quiet day where you stay inside the station and watch movies all day, or you could be running twenty four hours, right? You don't you can't control that, but what you can control is how you prepare yourself going into that, you know, and, and we found on our end, you know, in this community, on the special operations community, that it was cheaper, you know, because of the, the monetary investment that it takes to make one full operator, you know, it was cheaper to invest in their preventative maintenance. So having physical therapy on standby, having, you know, counselors on standby, people you can talk to, you know, where you can, where you can really start to, you know, develop a game plan for yourself of when the stress, it's not if the stressful event happens, it's when the stressful event happens, this is what I'm going to do, you know, and you have kind of a plan to approach it as opposed to just, you know, winging it. And then, and usually, you know, from some of the, you know, more kind of I guess, untrained people, you know, they, all they try to do is they think, they think making themselves feel good is the key out of it. And it's usually not like when you think about sometimes some of the habits that people build on the back end to try to just, you know, let go or whatever, right. You, your stress is cumulative. It's, it's a system-wide response. So your solution to it has to be system-wide as well. If, if, you know, I understand like, you know, a lot, some people, I mean, even in the military, it was, it was huge. You know, people would drink, you know, people would just kind of just all kinds of unhealthy habits that they thought would make them feel better, but in, in the end of the day, just made them less resilient to stress. So like, the, so when you talk about managing burnout, you know, burnout happens when your mechanisms just fail, you know, and it's like, you've, you've run that car so hard and you haven't taken to get an oil change. You haven't rotated the tires, you know, you haven't, you haven't done any of the preventative work to prevent that from happening. You know, how do you then, how do you know about my 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 car? <laughs> right, I, I don't know. I was gonna, I was going to take care of all that stuff. I, I I don't think you need to bring that up right now. Well, I'm just <laughs> I, yeah. I like the whole like looking at your body like a car. I mean, it's, it's a great it's a great analogy. Like it works. Yeah, you know? absolutely, it is. And and um, you know, wh while you're talking about this, yeah, I'm picturing. Uh, you know, like I see it at work. I've done it at work myself. And I've talked about this a bunch of times on the podcast. We are different people at different stages during the day. And you, you, you have to have different ways of handling things at different times. For instance, during the afternoon, you won't see me go anywhere near sugar. And I'm right. perfect. I'm Mr. Perfect. And I'm talking shit. Yeah, I don't, I don't eat sugar. Not, uh, but mm -hmm. at two o'clock in the morning after, you know, I've been passed <laughs> out and, you know, for an hour in the rack and then we go yeah. out for a bell and we're out for say, you know, something stupid for 30 minutes. And when we come back, I'm wide awake, but I'm tired. You walk right. past cookies or something. 
and it's yeah. all bets are off. You, I, it's like I'm a yeah. different person, and I, I, I fall victim to that a lot. It's, it's funny. It's funny you say that. I uh, so the I forget where I heard it. I want to say it was in one of Kelly Sturrett's courses, but I can't go and quote me for certain. But the idea was was that you know, are you living out of checking? Or are you living out of savings? Right. So you look at like look at your health, like monetarily speaking, right? You know, are you living, are you living out of your checking account or is your checking account already depleted and you're living out of savings, right? Like what is, what is your new, what does your nutrition look like leading up to that 2am decision, right? That that's going to put you in, if all you, if you got nothing in your system, right. And then you come 2am and your tank is empty and you go for the cookies, right? Blood sugar, you know, you spike up, you know, and then you, then you crash right down again, you know, what, and that's, and that's kind of like the idea behind managing burnout on the front end is that like, you know, it becomes less and less of a difficult decision, the better you take care of yourself leading up to, you know, the plate of brownies being left on the table by whomever, you know, cause, cause you're right. The, if you haven't had anything to eat, man, those brownies, like they look super tempting, yeah. you know, like it's, <laughs> but you know, if you've, if you've take if you've taken care of yourself and that's, and that's kind of where, like, you know, when we were when we were on a team, you know, your performance, like, as a as a first responder, firefighter, paramedic, you know, police officer, like, y- you have more in common with an athlete, a professional athlete, than you do with, you know, Jake from State Farm, right? If if you treat this job like a nine to five job, where I just go to work, you're like this isn't normal, right? Like people most. The Jakes from State Farms of the world are sleeping at two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Right. Right. So, so if 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 all if your approach to your job is, well, you know, three meals, and then I go to bed. That might work on some days. That right. might not work on other days, right? And I'm gonna and I'm gonna bet that probably more often than not, it's not going to work. Right. It's not going. Your day is going to look like, you know, so. So yeah, I mean, I I think that like if you take an athlete's approach to your life, um, and think about all the things that goes into professional. I mean, they got a they got a staff of people. Now, granted, we don't have staffs of people who are looking out for us, so therefore, you know, we you know have to take it upon ourselves. And you know, it's, it's regrettable sometimes, unfortunate that the the institutions that we work for don't place a higher priority on on health and wellness. So it's like the burden is very much left to the individual to manage that on their own. So, um, yeah. uh, we're going to get back to this, but there's something that I really want to talk about here. Now you, you have a website mm-hmm. and yeah. it's called morphine and mindfulness. Well, that's also Correct. your, your Instagram. So everybody check right. out Chris at morphine and mindfulness. And it's a blog. You're a writer. And you didn't explain the, the name in your bio, which I'm glad because yeah. I, I, I saved it for the podcast. Why did you name it Morphine and my, Morphine, mindfulness? mindfulness? So it's, it's interesting. So I, you know, as a, it really kind of came as a result of, of being a yoga teacher. And when you, you know, everyone walks into a yoga studio with issues, Right, whether that's musculoskeletal issues where they're they're tight in the hamstrings or wherever, spiritual issues like they've got a lot in their mind, you know, and everyone looks to address this idea of pain and suffering somehow, right? And when you think about how we manage pain and suffering in the world, you know, as a medical provider, right? I've I've got drugs as a as a medic, I've got a laundry list of you know fentanyl, morphine. Etc. You know, benzos to manage your your emotional reaction level, um, and I can, and those are very effective, right? And I think a lot of people use and turn to pharmacology to help manage stress. Yeah, and and it, and it has its place, right? I mean, I as I, I use them and they are very effective, and and Western medicine has come a long way um, to help solve some of these problems to kind of level that biological playing field. Um, but on the flip side of that, it's it's not sustainable, right? I mean, I think the the what you need is you need both halves of that coin. You need, you know, if need be, use your drugs, but also, you know, use what's already available to you to live a sustainable life, you know, and that's and that's mindfulness. You know, mindfulness is is really nothing more than the practice of you know, being present and understanding why you're making the choices that you're making and, and having it 
be a mindful choice, a deliberate choice rather than just an automatic response. Um, so yeah, so I, you know, when I, when I look at what I do as a paramedic in the field, you know, for me, it, it kind of completes my yoga teacher practice where it's, it's, it's half, you know, half morphine, half the Western world of science and pharmacology, but it's also, you know, understanding that you're treating people and, you know, understanding why sometimes people make the decisions that they make and how to address that um, to give them more sustainable treatment as opposed to just the, the easy button of a, a pill. So, yeah, that's very interesting. Now, I just thought of something since you, you are a paramedic and you're and you're working with people who are sick or hurt, you know, um, obviously to to be a first responder, you you are going to have a sense of empathy. You you know, you, you can't really do the job unless, unless I, I don't see how you can do it if you're not empathetic. Sure. But um, do you think that being mindful of yourself allows you to be more mindful of the patient you're seeing. Yes, absolutely. Um, it's like the analogy that, you know, was, was used when we were kind of getting taught and schooled on, you know, how to meditate, how to coach people in meditation is imagine, imagine like you're sitting on the bank of a river and you're watching your thoughts just kind of go by in boats and, and rather than hopping on the boats, you're more waving at them as they go by. Right. So, so being mindful allows you to, kind of being an observer of your own sensation as opposed to be so wrapped up in it, right? Because when you're, yes. when you're wrapped up in that sensation, that's, that's usually what drives not mindful action. Anger is usually the, the easiest example to think about it when you look at it that way, you know, or, or from a science standpoint, you know, your, your brain works from the bottom up, not the top down. So the bottom being that reptilian automatic response where you're not even thinking about it, you know, back when, you know, human beings were threatened by saber tooth tigers, like that's when that region of the brain developed, right? That we don't get to that executive function right away. It takes time to go up and, you know, you, you want to make decisions that are mindful. And especially when you're, when you're witnessing pain and suffering on a daily basis, you know, you not like you recognizing that it's a sensation, but not wrapping yourself up in it that causes you to make emotional decisions. You know, it's sometimes it's like a good example with, with pain medicine is, you know, when a patient's blood pressure is too low, right? It's like, I can't, if I drop your pressure anymore, right? That, yeah, I mean, it'll put you out, but we might not get you back, you know? Yeah. So it's like, you, you, have, you have to, sometimes you have to ride that wave of like, man, like I know this person's super uncomfortable right now, but if I, if I do this, if I give into that, right, if I, if I help them in the way that they think they need help, not in the way they actually need help, I'm doing more harm than I'm doing good, you know? So it's, it's for me, you know, the, the yoga practice of, of mindfulness or mindfulness training in general is extremely beneficial um, to where, you know, you, you can kind of maintain perspective because you're maintaining an observer standpoint rather than a participant standpoint. Um, so you can decide how you act as opposed to just reacting. Right. Yeah. And that's definitely needed when you're working with uh, sick people in a medic situation. Yes. Now, with your blog, uh, what, what do you like to write about? And essentially, what can you, um, why should, why should people come and read your blog? Sure. Um, so it, it actually is, it originally started for me as a form of therapy. Like, you know, it was actually probably more for myself than anyone else. Cause yeah. you know, when you're, whether it was, you know, overseas um, or even locally, you know, like traumatic situations are very, very rich experiences, you know, and you, you want to distill them down to, their principles and like what you can learn from them, what you can take away from them. So, you know, so writing about it for me was a way to kind of relive the experience and maybe sort through some of the details that in the moment I might've completely missed, you know, and from a therapeutic standpoint, you know, the, the issue with trauma, at least as, you know, as I've experienced it, it has everything to do with how the memory is filed. It's not the memory itself. It's what you do with it, right? And, and a lot of that has to do with the narrative that you associate with the event itself. And so by writing, you know, 
I can, I can rework the narrative. You know, I can, I can not, 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 not falsify it, but like, you know, pick apart some of the details and like, look at the same situation from different perspectives and be like, oh, okay, maybe, maybe this, what, maybe there was a greater purpose here that I might've missed out on, you know? So it gives me a chance to kind of relive some of that experience in a safe way. Um, you know, for people who are, and then, but from there, you know, what it kind of turned into was like, man, like from like the back of an ambulance is an interesting place, you know, and you see everything, right? You, you have a great, you have an amazing perspective on humanity from where you sit and you, there's so much that can be learned from that. And for me, like I try to like distill a lot of what I see into life lessons learned from being a provider in an emergent situation, you know, and, um, and, and so I, you know, I, I write the articles that I write in order to kind of put those lessons out there for anyone who's interested. And as well for myself, you know, it's like, what do I, what can I learn from, you know, there was one in more of my more recent articles, you know, where, where back-to-back calls where, you know, one was a GSW died in route to the hospital. Very next, yep, gunshot wound. Yep. Very next call, I delivered a baby, same stretcher, right? Yeah. So it was like, took Death one out, brought one in, right? Right. And I was like, and I was like, I mean, like who, I, aside from the people in medicine, like who gets to experience that? But I mean, I think someone, you know, having that perspective, being able to sit in that seat, you just, I mean, you see so much and then you can take that, package it into some lessons learned and be like, here you go world. <laughs> you know, this yeah. is why, if it's useful for you, use it. If it's not throw it away, but like, this is, this is me. And, uh, I hope it, I hope it serves you well. <laughs> yeah. But that's, that's really good. Yeah. I read some of your blog. I'm not going to talk about what I read. People should just go and see what you say. Again, it's morphine and mindfulness.com. And, you know, the story that you're sharing about the gunshot wound and then delivering the baby, um, I f- found myself in, you know, a couple of times in my career, where, I mean, you can get very deep and philosophical in your head when you see this stuff. And this is a perfect example. You, what you do with that stimulus, it, it could be good or it could be bad, right? You're going to process it one way or another. And sometimes PTSD is coming from how you process it, you know, uh, but like if I saw something like that, if I went through that, like you just described, I, th- I picture myself sitting back very like astonished by this whole concept of somebody dying and then literally somebody being born and how it would sit right with me would be, it's the circle of life. There's something bigger going on than my little self and just try to be in awe of it. That's, that's how I would approach it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's perspective right there though. Right. I mean, like, cause that's, yeah. you know, usually that trauma, sometimes that, that PTSD comes from, you know, overemphasizing yourself in the whole thing. Right. Like I had a, I had a, I had a former boss um, and this was back when I was in, in special forces and, you know, without getting too much into details, you know, it was a, it was a hellacious firefight. And it was, you know, I remember being out, I was in a different part of the country, but we were on satellite radio. So, you know, we could hear all the traffic and, um, you know, he, he relied a little too heavily, um, on some intelligence and ended up, you know, they were using a a hospital, uh, as a, as a fighting position and he ended up dropping, uh, on the hospital. And yeah, and that, that, and, and I asked him, you know, and, and it was big investigation, you know, he's, he's still around, but. I asked him, you know, before he left country, I was like, well, how do you, I was like, how do you deal with all that, man? It's like, I mean, he's a good, he's a good guy, you know, and he, he made, it was a tough decision. Did it he was, know it was a hospital? He knew it was a hospital. He, he didn't. He, oh, he, okay, he, he didn't. was, imagine, no, it's like, it just, is just like a building, like anything else, okay. but he was just taking fire. So, you know, it, it was what it was. Right. I was like, I was like, well, how do you, I was like, how do you deal with it? I mean, he's like, he's like, honestly, he's like, sometimes you got to zoom out to that 30,000 foot view, right? Like you got to zoom, you got to zoom out far enough to where your own problems become irrelevant, you know? And I was like, and I'll I'll never forget that because, 
you know, we get, we get so caught up, especially in the, in the, in the medical field where, you know, when someone dies, the, the first thing you ask yourself is like, well, what did I do wrong? Like what, what, what could I, you know, what did I, what did I mess up that caused this person to die? You know? And, and, you know, and, and the honest, most of the time it's nothing, you know, like, I mean, people will die and, and it doesn't mean anyone did anything wrong. You know, you could, you, in fact, you could do everything right on a call and that patient still dies, you know? And, you know, it's, I, I don't know. I, for me, like trauma for me comes from, if there was something I could have done or should have done differently. Yeah. You know? But if I, and, and that's, that's what, you, it's not what I see. It's, you know, and, and for me, you know, what all that speaks to is preparation, right? Like, I mean, how are you preparing yourself every day to go in and do hard things? Cause that's like, we do hard things. Yeah. You know, no one calls 911 cause they're having a good day. Right. So like, are you doing everything you can to prepare yourself mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, and knowing that we're human and we all make mistakes, you know, all we're doing is the best we can do. And if you can walk away from something with, with a wholehearted, genuine, yes, that, you know, man, I, I did everything I knew that I could do. I used all of my resources to their, their maximum, fullest potential in that moment. There's really nothing left for me to hold on to. You know, and I, I think when that's, and that's, you know, the, the other part of, of yoga and, and I really kind of borrowing from, from Buddhism essentially is, is this idea of letting go, you know, is this idea of that attachments and the things you hold on to, you know, will inevitably cause you suffering. Um, so if you can get to a point where, you know, you are able to let go of those things, it, it, there was, there was something bigger there. You know, and it, it, you get that gets reaffirmed every day. And if you can, if you can see it, it you know, you can deal with it a lot better. <laughs> yeah. So, but, that's, yeah. that's really, um, I, I love what you're saying. I mean, that's, that's a, a great perspective to take uh, for anybody. It doesn't have to be just for first responders. I mean, everybody daily life at the past year or so has been, traumatic on people um and speaking on that so you're a paramedic and, and where do you work so i work in uh, orange county so north carolina we got chapel hill right hillsboro um all that okay you know, and in between in between durham and raleigh all right yeah. and that's your full-time job yeah so it's okay. interesting I have, a, I have a couple jobs <laughs> but you <laughs> that's but uh, you were working you were doing your paramedic work through covid yes okay yeah and yeah yeah. So that, yeah, I, I wanted to ask you how that went for you. And, and I would take it I, here in New Jersey, we're not getting any more COVID calls. I haven't been on one in, yeah. in months. I don't know if it's uh, same for you, but um, we're, we're, we are starting to see an uptick again, um, obviously with, with the whole Delta variant thing. Right. Um, it, what's interesting about COVID is, Oh, I don't know. I'm probably going to get, burned at the stake for this one um it's in like there is a i forget i don't maybe it was donald trump who said i don't know but it, you know don't make the cure worse than the disease like for me it you know i i understand personal safety you know get vaccinated wear your mask you know just d do what you can to be safe but don't let fear paralyze you right mm -hmm. like don't don't be the person who goes and hoards the toilet paper from the store, you know, because you uh, well, think the world's uh, unless you, unless you eat Taco Bell, then you better get unless, a okay. <laughs> okay, that's, that's no sorry, you know, I had to make a stupid no, joke. No, you're right, yeah. you're right, you're right. But I'm like, but I'm like, that's like that's that's what kills me, right? Like, and don't you right, like people are sick, you know, people are getting sick. It's, I mean, I've I've transported a number of COVID patients, um, and. And the other interesting, you know, it's, it's funny because when I, you know, when, when COVID first started, um, they started using the term frontline again, Yeah, you know, and that, and that was a term that, you know, like, you know, I, cause I had been, I had been on the front line, whether that was Iraq, Afghanistan, yeah. you know, some stuff in North Africa, but like, but here I was, I was back on the front line, but I was like, I, you, it's a different, if it's a different mentality, you know, yeah. like if you're going to be on the front line be on the front line, right? Like that, that comes at a, it comes at a cost, you know, you can't act like you normally do 
every day if you're on the front line, right? So, you know, and, and we, we were run hard. I mean, we got short staffed and we were people getting quarantined, you know, which meant there was an ambulance or two offline, which meant other people had to pick up that load, you know, so, you know, the, the need, and that's, and that was kind of where the blog was, was born from with this whole idea of managing burnout was like, I was like, Hey, look guys, I'm like, you know, we're, we're in a pandemic, you know, and, and no one really alive who's practicing medicine has ever been in a pandemic before, you know, regardless if you, I mean, if you're experienced the Spanish flu, like you're not working in EMS right now. Um, but, you know, but like, you know, we, we have a responsibility now, I think more than ever to be extra careful about how we take care of ourselves, how we prepare ourselves, you know, and, and, and then you see people quit left and right, you know, we're, we're losing people, you know, they're, they're, going to either different jobs or, you know, nurses are doing the whole travel nurse thing. I'm like, and, and all it's doing is just, it's depleting resources. And yeah. for me, which means for the people who are still around, like we're picking up that slack. So like for me, like the hardest part of COVID wasn't really the COVID. It was everything that surrounded COVID. It's what COVID did to yeah. society. Right. Yeah. And, and like, and that to me is what it sucks. It's like, that's, what's manageable. Like, I mean, it takes, you know, we had, you know, when I was, when I was a platoon leader in Iraq, it was, you know, for better or worse, you know, it, we were being led by people who had never been in combat before, right? They, they, there was no combat to be had, you know, your, your senior level commanders, when they were your rank as a lieutenant, they weren't in combat because there was, there wasn't an Iraq, Afghanistan, you know, so so this is, you know, it's, you know, this is the time for combat leadership, which is a different, it's a different style of leadership. In, in, than, in, in the regular world. Yeah. In the reg I mean, yeah. Like, yeah. In EMA, like, I mean, yeah. we, wear, oh, okay. we wear rank, you know, like yes, you have right. rank on your uniform, right? right? Like that's. Do, do you see um, a deficiency? Because I, I, I do. And I've been, I've been touching on this a lot. Um, and I, like you said, I, I don't want to get burned at the stake here, but um we have a different kind of society nowadays and okay i'm almost 50 years old so maybe i'm talking like the old grumpy guy but there's uh different people are not taking responsibility properly they're not doing the hard things and they're expecting just to get things okay and i'm just speaking in general right here but i know you did say yeah you why leadership matters now more than ever in the EMS, fire, and police? Why why does it matter now more more than ever? Because I mean, for for starters, like there's there's a difference between leadership and management. Like those are those are mutually exclusive terms, not to be interchanged. Like just because you can manage and fill slots doesn't mean you're leading, right? Like leadership implies. A, an ability to rally, to influence, you know, like you, you need people, if people are considering quitting, they stay for you. Yeah. Right. Like, and, yeah. and how, and how many people, and, and that was one thing that, again, it was, it was a very different dynamic, like on a, on a special forces detachment where it's like, it's kind of like being the captain of a pirate ship. Like people ask me like, well, what was your team leader time? Like, I'm like, it was, but it's like, it's like being Jack Sparrow, right? You're like, you're a captain, yeah. you're in charge, but you're also a pirate. Yeah. Right. So it's like, so it's like, you know, for me, like I take that into this job and I'm like, I'm like, all right, if you're in charge, where are you? Right. If there's an ambulance that's offline, are you there filling that? Like you're, you're a cut loose paramedic. And I'm definitely probably gonna get burned to stake for saying this, but I'm like, but I'm like, if you, if you are a person who has the ability to be out there with your people, right. Your people who are short staffed, who are telling you they are short staffed right? It is your responsibility as a leader to get up front and lead your people, right? Like that is, that is combat leader. Like people will follow that, you know, people yeah. will stay for good leadership because like, it's like the guy you want to be like, right? You know, it's like you, and, and now, you know, more so than ever, you know, people look for that, you know, and if people feel like, you know, they're, they're devoid of leadership, then they're like, why am I here? You know, yeah. no one really, no one really cares, you know, like no one, you can't lead from the back. Right. Right. Like the, the officer, when we jumped out of planes, you were the first one to leave the plane. You know, it was a very, very old mindset of leadership 
um, where you know you were you were kind of the first one on the field and the last one off. That doesn't mean you have to be like that guy all the time. It means you have to put yourself in a position where you know people understand that you are willing to share in all of their burdens with them. Right. Right. I mean, you, you, you delegate, you assign responsibility. You're not the guy who has to do everything. That's, that's not good leadership either, but you are someone who is there with them sharing in that, you know, and it's, and it's a, it's a, it's a bonding thing and it's, it it develops trust. And like I said, I mean, that was for us, you know, when we talk about, you know, high performing teams, we trusted each other with everything, like with your life, you know, and, and, and same thing, you know, in the fire world, you know, you, you trust that person that you're with, like your life might be in their hands, you know? Right. And, you know, it's funny because a lot of people joke, you know, about like, man, if I got in an accident, I would not want to get in an accident in our county. And I'm like, that's a problem. Yeah. You know, like if that's what you're saying, like that's, that's a powerful thing. Right. So like, if you can't trust the person next to you, right. Like, the whole like that combat leadership like that that will break down yeah and, and then you see that you see that breakdown that's why people leave so i don't know like i for me like i'm, I'm still kind of i'm still the new guy you know like i'm not i'm not anywhere up on the totem pole with regards to leadership you know i just i had i had a unique experience and background that you know i try to apply to my job but you know i'm just yeah. there doing I'm yeah. there doing what I can. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I mean, I, I'm two years in um, being a captain, and I remember prior to me actually getting promoted, I'm sitting there scratching my head, like, I- I'm going to take this position. And the other day, I was, like, goofing around with the guys in the back and whatever, and and, I, and I'm trying to think, well, what am I going to do? Become a different person? And they already know who I am. If, I'm tr- if I try to act different – be a boss or something like that they're just gonna see right through it so uh, i don't know where i got this from it might have been from jocko willink or somebody like that but um i i said okay my job is to make sure my crew is happy take care of them i'm gonna serve them i'm gonna serve them which is a weird concept like well what do you mean you're you're in charge you're going to serve them? Yeah, because I'm nothing without my guys. Really, right. I'm nothing. So that's that's absolutely correct. Yeah, and 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 I want to know: Are you guys hungry? Are you thirsty? How the tank is on your back? Do you need to take your tank off? Is there any problems? You know, and see to their needs, and then you know, hoping that they'll see that I actually care about them, and mm-hmm. I want them to be safe and happy, and. I, th- I said, that's good enough for me. I'm, that's how I'm going to lead. And then I'll learn right. from there and I'll just put it together. Um, I have a question because you were in combat and that has to be some, I couldn't imagine, you know, I mean, I, I'm not trying to think about any of the movies I watched. I'm just trying to really picture being in combat and especially leading people. I'm sure uh, there was times where you had like a young guy, um, and he was freaked out, gunfire mm-hmm. or whatever, almost frozen. How did how did you how did how did you lead somebody like that and stay on top of your game for the whole situation? Sure. Um, so, a lot of it is understanding the capabilities of your team, right? So you know, hopefully, and, and that and that it come like that part itself comes down to training, right? Some of that stuff you can identify early of who those people are going to be, and you put them in different spots, right? If like you know, you're a guy who maybe can't really operate on your own, like just stay closer, you know, be able to be managed by somebody else. For for being an officer in combat, you know, they, they the way they tell it is, you know, you're in the place where you can best command and control. Your job is to kind of look up and out right. where, you know, you're understanding what's going on beneath you and you're able to kind of manage and relay resources, right? And, and for the guys, you know, you didn't, on the special forces team, you didn't really, you didn't see it because they were all, they were all older. You know, you went from, you know, from an infantry platoon where, you know, your youngest guys are 18, 19 years old on a special forces detachment. You know, the, the median age is probably in the thirties, right? So these guys have been around for a while. There's no low ranking people anymore. Um, but, you know, for back in the infantry days, you know, when you had people who, I mean, cause a lot of times like, 
you know, you, for some of these kids, you know, they were, there was the first time ever leaving like the county they were born in and then yeah. they go overseas. Right. Yeah. And a lot, and a lot of it was, was like trying to, you know, you identify with them as people, you know, beforehand. Right. Like, and so like, for me, like a lot of the work to, to manage that freaked out kid in combat, if, if I, as a leader, didn't identify that that might've been a problem beforehand in some way, shape or form, then, then I wasn't looking close enough, you know? And I, you know, if that did happen, it's like, Hey, look, right now we got to get through the situation. We'll talk about it later. Like, I'm not, I'm not here to, to chastise you. Like, we're going to get through this together. Like, you know, we're, we're going to work through the problem. You know, we're going to, we're going to live. And then we're going to sit down and we're going to talk and we're going to be like, Hey, look, is this the best place for you? Because in the end of the day, you know, it's sometimes people just get stuck with you. You know, you just, you got who you got, you know, but but you, you try to max, like as a leader, you, and that's kind of the difference between leadership and management, you know, leaders will put people where they can succeed to the best of their abilities. Like, you, are you fostering growth of this person to where like they're in the position to succeed? And if you've identified that, hey, look, like th- the front line might not be a place for you, let's find you a different job and, and, and you move them. Like you don't, you don't try to like make a fish into a cheetah, right? A fish is a fish, a cheetah is a cheetah, right? Like yeah. you, you just put them in the environment where they can do the most, right. you know? And, and so I, and so that's, I don't know if that answers your question, but like, for me, yeah. like you don't, it's not like, oh, you'll get this next time. I'm like, no, like you, you either get it or we have to look to go somewhere else. Like we don't have this time to constantly go back and forth right. while you have this, you know, existential crisis. Yeah. Um, so but yeah, I mean, but a lot, again, like the, the more, you know, your guys, you know, you on an intimate level, you know, like on a, on a detachment, you know, we, we hung out with each other outside of work. You know, we watched each other's kids, you know, we, yeah. we, we drank, we, like, I mean, it was, and, and, you know, it speaks to your level of professionalism when you can separate that. Like when it's, when it's go time, it's go time. When it's not go time, it's not go time, yeah. you know? And, um, and that was, it was interesting because that was kind of a trait that they looked for when you were being assessed for being an officer in special forces it was like, you know, can you play like this, you know, down to earth diplomat where I can, you know, sit across the table from with that at that point in time was Ash Carter, who's the secretary of defense um, and, and talk to him about, you know, the, the strategic implications of where, you know, Afghanistan, at least in, in our area was headed. And then the flip side, you know, turn back around and have stir fry with your guys on Friday, you know, and <laughs> talk about whatever, right? Yeah. Like, and that was, you just go back and forth. And, it, and it's, and it's, a, it's a skill to learn skill and, and you just, you cultivate that. So, yeah. um, all right. That's yeah. good. Yeah. That's a good answer. I like that. Um, again, it's just, you know, keep it, keep it simple really. And, and, be practical about how you and you're dealing with people. So you have to get on their level and, and speak to them from a place where they understand. Um, so now we're, we're going to wrap up the podcast, but before we do, um, so with all your, uh, you're basically a yoga instructor, but are you also training people based on your Olympic lifting and other credentials? Yeah. On, on occasion, um, I've kind of, I've kind of steered away from some of the group classes and try to, you know, I've, I've been looking for ways to kind of pull everything together. I mean, I've realized I've kind of, you know, mismatched a lot with CrossFit Olympic lifting, mixed martial arts. I mean, I I practiced jujitsu, um, have for a while and love it. So I, for me, I try to like, you know, part of this whole venture of creating, you know, morphine and mindfulness, or even as a yoga teacher, you know, trying to pull from all these populations and be like, Hey, look, you know, here's this universal application for the art of yoga, whether it's, you know, I need more shoulder stability to hold weight over my head. Right. You know, I need to work on my breath work because I keep getting, you know, choked out or I get freaked out when someone's on top of you, you know? So I've tried to almost kind of like reverse engineer my own coaching and be like, here's, yoga as it applies to all of my other coaching activities right and this is how it can benefit you um as an athlete or yeah. a person or however yeah that's 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 how i approach steel mace training you know like this yeah. is going to uh be an also to your other stuff nobody's saying just do one thing or another whatever it is you do you so that's that's a a, a great uh way to tie it in now you never tried steel mace? 
Uh, so I I have tried it. I have, okay. I have played oh. with one, um, but I have by no means have like developed any sort of routines and flows. I saw it and yeah. I was like, this is interesting. I think we, we had one overseas that just kind of landed in our gym. Oh, and okay. so, you know, so yeah. naturally we just, you know, like all. Were you doing swings? You know, yeah, we were, just, we were just swings. Yeah, swing swings. We were just probably hitting tires with it, which we probably yeah. shouldn't be doing. But no, no, that's <laughs> it's actually a good tool for that. Uh, because uh, a lot of times you'll hand somebody a, a mall sledgehammer to do tire mm -hmm. slams and you're handing this tool to somebody that's never swung a mall before in their life. Right. It's got an oval handle. It's kind of short. And then it's got this, you know, the small head that you got to hit. And I, when I've coached people with a mall that especially some girls and stuff like that, not trying to stereotype, but sometimes they're just like, what am I supposed to, how they don't even know how to strike, mm -hmm. but uh, they'll roll their ankle, uh, roll their wrists um, and have a lot of difficulty with it. So I've realized over time, the steel mace is a better tool, especially right. in the beginning to learn with it. You, they won't roll the wrists. It's a little longer. It's got a more forgiving handle. So it's, it's great for that. But uh, so you do have a little bit of experience. What, what I wanted to ask you was, what um what when you see steel mace um if i don't know if you've seen anything online or whatever uh and watched any like good videos but how what do you basically you know think of it and do you see it as a good tie-in with yoga yeah absolutely so i from what i understand um well really two things one you know the idea of primal movement like, so the idea that, you know, kind of getting back to the way we were designed to move as humans, right? So, so you know, over time, based on our lifestyle, we naturally assume, like, we start to limit our movement less and less and less and less yes. and less based on the lifestyle that we live, right? So right. it's like, you know, as, as, as kids, as babies, you know, we were, we were squatting at full depth, we were swinging off monkey bars, and we were doing all this stuff. And then before we know it, we've been sitting in a desk for... 15 years and our shoulders are internally rotated and our hips are chronically tight, you know, and a lot of that had to do with, you know, veering away from these natural movement patterns. And again, this idea that you're figuring stuff out, right? Like uh, from what I understand, you know, when you use a steel mace, you have a weight that is constantly changing positions, which causes you to adjust those positions, right? It's, it's figuring out, you know, optimal position in a dynamic environment. So, you know, for the yogi who, you know, is constantly searching for this, you know, stable position, whether you're trying to balance on your hands, on one foot or on your head or whatever it is, like the constant search for stability. It, I mean, that's, that's kind of, that's at the core of primal movement, right? So it's like, yeah. you know, we, you know, they, you know, Kelly started had this, had this thing where the reason, you know, he called it the supple leopard was because, you know, a leopard doesn't, you know, when it, when it gets ready to pounce, right. It doesn't, take its leopard pre-workout doesn't do its leopard stretches beforehand right it goes from zero to pouncing right away right there's no like this this in-between ground doesn't exist yeah like that's that's the goal for movement so it's like you know to get back to a state where you know we're we're more primed and ready to move like that as opposed to having to go through this you know massive routine of you know i gotta get my shakes out and i gotta you know stretch my hamstring so I don't injure myself, you know, but, but training in a more holistic way that doesn't just, you know, focus on, you know, hypertrophy of the biceps and how you look in the mirror, but more so, you know, can you move optimally? And I think that, that narrative, you know, is, is the sustainable way of fitness, right? I mean, cause eventually, you know, your, your muscles will not look as good as they did, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Right. And, um, you know, but your movement can, you know, you're, you're, you can, you can still have movement gains into your advanced age, even though you might not look like Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime. Right. I uh, like that. Like, Move, so, movement gains. I like right. that. I, yeah. Well, and that, yeah. And that, that was like, that was, again, like going back to that, that story about, you know, how I got you know, my ass handed to me the first time I ever did CrossFit was because, I mean, I might have looked aesthetically pleasing, but I couldn't move very well, right? Yeah. You know, the guys who, the guys who can put 400 pounds over their head 
and stand up with it in the Olympics when they snatch, they, you know, they are optimal movers. Like they can master this position, this stable position that, you know, when they pick up 400 pounds, it looks like, you know, you and I are picking up 20 pounds. Right. right? And, and yeah. it's like, it's like, how, how can human beings do this? You know, yeah. well, it's, you know, it, it comes from a different way of training and a different way of thinking about your training. And yeah. So, I mean, for me like that, I was, I was sold after that. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. The, um, bringing in different things throughout your life, I think is definitely necessary. I, I, I know so many people now, now that we're getting older and they've been doing bodybuilding their whole lives and, and they did it right. You know, they always, they always uh, trained correctly, but it was um, just, the, it becomes an overuse thing. It's the same thing over and over shoulder pressing after shoulder pressing. You're not doing anything else. You're not training any other way. So what's going to happen to your shoulders? They're going to keep getting compressed and then impingements. And, and then next thing you know, they got bad shoulders but they were jacked. They were jacked for a long time. But as long as long as they, as long as you were jacked, man, good for you. Yeah, like. yeah. So <laughs> that's it, you know. So Chris, yeah. uh, this was very informative. Um, you, you brought a lot to the table. I think um, the listeners will appreciate um, some of, some of the stuff talking about breath work and and optimal movement and stuff like that. And 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 of course, just hearing a little bit about you know your your story about being in the military and leadership and everything. And, uh, wow. A lot of good stuff. I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. Yeah, it was, it was great. And, um, you know, you seem to have a lot of depth here. So I, I have to ask you to come back on again for, uh, I, Hey man, whenever you want, I'm, I'm game. Yeah. Stick is stay, you know, stay in touch and, and I'll get you back on. Um, it, just good, good conversation. So I appreciate yeah. it. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you. All right. That's uh, Chris Van Brank. And Chris is a yoga instructor. He's in North Carolina. Um, if you're in the area down there and you want to train with him, hit him up at Morphine and... Uh, mindfulness. Sorry. Morphine and Morphine. mindfulness. I'm, yep. I'm thinking about dinner already, so <laughs> my brain is shutting down. Um, I got you. Yeah, so check Chris out, and everybody, thank you for listening to the podcast. Chris, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much. All right. Take care.